Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app right now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. All right, everybody, what is going on? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you very, very much, as always, for tuning in, locking in the Talking Buffalo Podcast today. Uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to have a good friend of mine, a recurring guest. Hasn't been on in a while, though. Steve Mathis, co-host of the Air Raid Hour, which is now part of the Cover One Buffalo Podcasting Network. I love Cover One. Far and away, one of my favorite Buffalo Bills multi-media outlets. I have Aaron Quinn on all the time from Cover One. I've talked to Greg Thompson several times, Eric Turner. So anyway, he's going to join me in just a minute. And obviously, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. We'll revisit a little bit anyway. Sunday's game against Tampa. I don't want to call it demoralizing, but it was certainly a frustrating loss. A game that many people feel like the Bills should have won, especially the way things ended. And I'll tell you what, folks, I, I tweeted about this. I have to talk about this for a minute before I even get into the episode because I don't want my conversation with Steve to be about it. But I, I got to say this, man. I am not a conspiracy guy and there's nothing more in the world I hate than blaming officials for outcomes of games. I just think nine and a half out of 10 times, it's just a cop out and it's an excuse. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a Buffalo Bills player or coach, a member of that organization or fan, you got a lot to be angry about this week. That was some blatant, one-sided, absolutely bottom-of-the-barrel, awful officiating. I'm going to talk about that with Steven. I'm going to be open and honest about it. Uh, we'll talk Josh Allen. To me, maybe not statistically, but I'm more impressed this week with Josh Allen than I've been at any point of his career. He's had better games statistically. He's been more consistent. He's made more plays. But considering what he went through on Sunday, the beating he took, he put the Buffalo Bills on his back and carried them into overtime. If Mitch Trubisky's quarterback in that game or 90% of quarterbacks around the league, forget about just Mitch Trubisky, I think the Bills lose that game by 30 points, maybe more. Josh Allen put that team on his back, hurt, still hurt, by the way. And we're going to talk about that. And I also want to have a conversation today about Tremaine Edmonds, because I'm going to tell you right now, folks, people are jumping off the bandwagon. So I don't want to say like all these fans are still defending him, but there are still people defending Tremaine Edmonds. And I think it's getting to a point now where if you think he's anything more than your average run of the mill, dime per dozen linebacker, then I don't know what to tell you anymore. We're going to talk about a couple of plays specifically and not just the overtime play where he got beat in coverage, which how much of that is actually his fault. That can be debatable, but there are some things about his game that are not debatable. They're not debatable, folks. It's indefensible. 
If there's 20 middle linebackers around the league, he's middle of the pack. Anything more, I don't know what to tell you. If you think he's anything more, I got a lot of thoughts on him. We'll talk about the defense being prone to the big run. I mean, sure, they played good in the second half, but let's not dismiss the first half either. Can't do that. Uh, we'll talk coaching. I think Sean McDermott is uh, coaching scared. We'll talk Brian Dable. Uh, we'll talk long-term, short-term stuff with the Bills. I think Brandon Bean, and we'll talk about this today, I think he deserves some criticism. I think I think he deserves a, f- a few bullets coming his way. If we're going to be critical of this team, this organization, Brandon Bean's not without fault, and we'll talk about that. That said, I still think this team is in okay position, and this is another thing we'll be talking about with Steve in just a minute. I think this team is still all right. I think they're in very good position if Josh Allen is healthy enough to go over these last four weeks. Right now, he's day-to-day. We're recording this late Monday night. Sean McDermott said on Monday, Josh Allen's day-to-day, and the hope is that they can get him back Sunday. I think they can beat Carolina without him, but obviously, they're going to need Josh down this stretch here, okay? But I think the Bills are in really good position, folks. Three home games against three teams that range from mediocre to to flat-out bad. You win those three games, and next week, not this week, but the week after is the big one, of course. You're at New England. It's the rematch. You beat them. That's 4-0 to end the season. It's very realistic, folks. It is. Not easy, but realistic. And you know what else is realistic? New England can lose either this week at Indy or Week 17 at Miami. Those are two very losable games. And if they lose just one of those two games and the Bills do win out, which, of course, would mean them beating New England, Next week, the Bills still win the AFC East. So all is not lost. It feels like it right now. I know it does, and I understand why. And I felt like that at times. But big picture, all's not lost. I'll talk about all that with Steve, why he's now at cover one, along with his partner, David Tilton. We'll talk about all that and more in just a second. One quick programming note, though. So if you notice, and hopefully you did, there was no Casual Friday, no episode last Friday. Uh, my co-host for Casual Friday, Joe Yurden, was very much under the weather. He, he wasn't feeling good. So rather than just get someone else to do it, I, I just decided, you know what, let's not even have an episode. But anyway, he'll be back this week. So business as usual, episode today, Tuesday, definitely one Friday. I might try to squeeze something in for Wednesday as well. One a small note too, for the next two weeks after this week, usually we do Tuesday and Friday, but after this week, the next two Fridays is Christmas Eve. New Year's Eve. Not going to do episodes on Fridays. So for the next two weeks, we're going to have episodes on Tuesday and Thursday. So Tuesday the 21st, Thursday the 23rd, and then Tuesday the 28th, and Thursday, December 30th. Just want to let you guys know that ahead of time, on that note, I've been talking for way too long here. I got a lot of stuff that I want to talk about with my man. So here he is right now from Cover One Buffalo. I got it used to saying that. Steve Mathis. All right, I'm with Steve Mathis. Let me say this right off the bat, man. I um, I very much am like Josh Allen, tough as nails. I had a booster shot about, I don't know, Steve, what, is it? what are we taping this? It's almost 10.30 at night now. Oh, yeah. 10.30 Eastern time, not 10.30 your time, because you're out in the West Coast. Anyway, I had a booster shot about 12 hours ago, and I've been a little concerned all day that I haven't felt anything. And because I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of horror stories about people who've gotten this Moderna booster shot. And some of the people that I talked to, they had very mild, if, if any, symptoms at all with their first or second dose. But for whatever reason, the, the third one's kind of hit them harder. 
But uh, I, I felt fine, but now I'm starting to get a little, get the chills. A little bit sore, but I'm, I'm going to tough it out. I'm tough as nails, just like our boy uh, Josh Allen. But anyway, what's going on, dude? How you doing? Hey, man, when I, when I got, I'm doing great, but when, when I got boosted, uh, I, I made the mistake of flu shot, booster, same time, same arm. Uh, so I, I was feeling the effects. I had to call off the next day at work. Uh, yeah. I will never be doing same arm again. I'm going to be rotating arms or, or rotating when I get the flu shot and the booster. Cause that was, that one was brutal. <laughs> you know, I should give you a little bit of credit here too, because I'm tough as nails as tough as they come. Of course I am, but you're also putting in a lot of work tonight because again, we are taping this really late Monday and you quite literally, I don't know. What did you wait? Like less than five minutes. You just got done doing the air raid hour part of the cover one. And we'll talk about you guys, you and David Tilton joining cover one. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but anyway, you literally just got done wrapping up a show that went for a good hour and about an hour and 20 minutes. And now you're right back here talking with me. Now, I don't want to say that your voice guitar, cause I know you could talk, but it, does it get annoying sometimes? Like, you know, that we're going to talk about some of the same topics that you already talked about. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. gotta, it's a skill to be able to to keep and maintain that energy. Like I said, because in your mind you're like, oh, God damn, man. Me and Dave just talked about this shit like 20 minutes ago. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then no, I, yeah. I'm 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 not gonna lie to you, man. I'm I'm totally numb to it. Like I'm I'm an 11th yeah. grade American history teacher. I teach five classes of U.S. history a day, and I tell the kids like third or fourth period, I'm like, you're getting my best. You're getting my best right now because what I'm teaching <laughs> you right now, I I just taught the last two periods and I taught it like jack shit. So, you know, I'm teaching it real good this period. I'm like, you guys are getting my best. So I'm warmed up. I'm ready to go. Like I, I've refined right. the, I've refined the takes that I have uh, screwed up on the air raid hour. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That you get a you get a chance to redeem yourself for anything you might have gotten wrong the first time. But anyway, look, here's where I want to start. Obviously. 95% of this podcast, this episode is going to be about the Buffalo Bills because it's big news right now. I want to start here, and this is something I don't do. And if you know me, you already know how I feel about this. I am that guy on, on Facebook. I'm that guy on Twitter. I'm that guy who, when I'm watching the game with a bunch of friends, there's nothing more I hate than when people get up and every time there's a bad call, they blame the referees for everything. You know, I think there's an element of human error involved in, in sports officiating, period. And things happen. Calls get missed. All right. So I am not that guy. Whoever gets up. And I talked about this a little bit uh, when I taped this intro earlier. I'm not a conspiracy guy. Okay. I don't think referees necessarily intentionally blatantly call games one-sided. I think sometimes they just, they miss shit, man. And it's the way it goes. And I always feel no matter what goes against you, a bad call at the end of the day, you could sit there and find 15 to 20 other bigger reasons why you lost that game. Now, maybe they didn't all happen in the last five minutes. They happened throughout the game. But there's a lot of mistakes that get made, a lot of factors that go into a loss, not one or two bad officiating calls. So that's my general statement, mm -hmm. Steve. That's how I feel, generally speaking. But I'm going to say this, and I want to start right away because I want to get this off because that's, you know, that's what's dominating social media, not just with Bills fans and even Bills media, by the way. I'm talking like national media absolutely destroying this officiating crew from Nelly because it was that bad. Nelly chimed in. Did you see yeah, that? Nelly. Yeah. <laughs> Nelly chimed that. in. Yeah. When, when, when Nelly is ripping the referees, you know, shit is really, you know, bad. you know, it's getting hot in here. Yeah. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Steve, I mean, it was like 
holding Stephon Diggs, I, I guess it's legal now, interfering with him, holding him, whatever it is that you got to do to stop him from catching the football. It, apparently it's legal. There's just no defending the call, Steve. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, there's some plays here and there, you know, they go against you, little ticky tacky, whatever have you, but that pass interference, no call in the end zone on that third down fade pass to Stephon Diggs. I mean, it's not even debatable. It's mm-hmm. indefensible. And it's first and goal from what the one, one and a half yard line with 30 something seconds left. It's almost, you never know what could happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, a fumble snap, a, a false start. So you can never say for sure, but the Bills should have won that game right there. Shouldn't have even went to overtime. The calls were just blatantly one-sided. And if you're ever, if you're that guy, you're a conspiracy guy and you say the NFL's fixed or the NFL wants Tom Brady and Tampa Bay to go back to the Super Bowl. You want to see a New England Tom Brady Super Bowl if the league wants that. If you're that conspiracy guy, this is the game that you would be showing people to state your case. It was that bad. This was one of the worst officiated games I can remember. And I know there's been a lot of bad ones this year, but this was as bad as it gets, bro. Yeah, I mean, what you saw on, what you saw Sunday, what you saw two nights ago, I guess by the time this thing airs, is is two different teams playing by two different sets of rules. And it allowed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to play play a completely different style of football. You saw the way that they were blitzing Josh Allen in the first half. They were able to get away with sending all of these different pressure packages at him and making him run for his dear life against an offensive line that is really not that great, in part because those defensive backs were able to get away with a lot of the things that they were able to get away with in the secondary. And the the receivers were struggling to get open in, in a quick in a quick, timely manner. You had that Stefan Diggs play right there that should have set us up first in goal. There was a couple other ones uh, against Diggs in that game as well. So it wasn't just one that they right. missed. And then Mike Evans honestly had offensive pass interference in, in overtime and they gave a DPI to Levi Wallace. So it was two different teams playing by two different sets of rules. And there really was no consistency to it. The analogy that I've used on a couple of occasions now, so people listening to this podcast have already seen me tweet it and they've already seen me talking about it on the air right hour, but the the NFL officiating, you know, they they put Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on third base and now the NFL media gets to treat them like they hit a triple. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It is. You know, I, I feel like last year, the only what slowed the Bills offense down last year was Kansas City and what did they do to slow them down? They were very aggressive and holding, you know, they mm-hmm. were holding, they were getting away with holding the receivers. It's like Tampa Bay took a page out of the playbook because the referees just weren't calling it. And to your point, and this is what really infuriates me more than anything, you know, you're a hockey guy too. So you watch a lot of hockey. Sometimes officials just decide to let the teams play. And unless it's something that's absolutely bladed, they don't call penalties, especially late in hockey games, which even if you have that philosophy, that call on digs, at least the second one, there were mm-hmm. other ones too, but that one at the end of the game, that was bladed no matter what that shit should have been called. But that's one thing to not call that. And if your attitude is going to be like, we're going to let these players decide the game, we're not going to let that yellow flag determine this game. That call against Levi Wallace, I completely lost my shit. By that time, this it's overtime. I was at Imperial Pizza watching it with a bunch of people in South Buffalo. And I'm telling you, Steve, that pass went in the air. He turned around. It was not pass interference. If anything, it was on Evans, but I, it should have been a no call. He turned his head around twice. Yeah, he did. And <laughs> he did, absolutely. But it's not even the call. It was the fact. And, and then, we're, again, I want to talk about the game and some of these players specifically, but I can't not address the officiating in this case. I knew. I looked at my buddy, 
BC, his name is. I, that's, I said, that flag's coming. And I had time to tell him that flag's coming and still waited a second and a half after I said that. And then sure enough, that flag came. That was a late flag. It's almost like he had to think about it. Well, okay, this game's in Tampa. It's in overtime. The fans are here. This is Tom Brady. We want Tampa to be the number one seed in the NFC. And again, I am anti-conspiracy guy. I think that's fucking stupid for the most part. But that's the way I felt. Mm-hmm. It's like they waited that long and then they threw the flag. Yeah. I completely lost my shit at that point. And, and and to me, quite honestly, the penalty on Levi Wallace upset me more than the penalty that wasn't called on Stefan Diggs. Because if you're going to call it consistently, that's fine. Right. If you're going to let them play, that's fine. Levi Wallace made a good play on Mike, Mike Evans. Tampa Bay punts. We get the ball back in overtime. All is fair in the world, right? But sure. that's not what happened. What happened was one team was playing by one set of rules and another team was playing by another. And it put Tampa Bay in a position to, you know, get the walk off. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, the the... The penalty against Wallace didn't lose the Bills the game. It, it was it was a first down long play, but it did it reset the field. And then I think it was like two plays later, bam, game over. Whereas Diggs, I think that that directly could have cost the Bills the game because mm-hmm. they had an excellent chance. You can't say for sure again, but they had an excellent chance to win that game and it and it doesn't even get to overtime. You mentioned Levi Wallace too. And we'll talk about him maybe and, and Dane Jackson a little bit more, but I will say this. I actually have a new level of respect for both of them, especially Levi Wallace, who I think has been, I think he's been pretty good all damn year, to be honest with you. I've had several conversations with, well, now he's your colleague, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Mm-hmm. He's a big Levi Wallace guy. And you, we like to call this guy the weak link of the secondary. But, and again, this is something we've talked about. Yeah, Levi Wallace is the weak link. He's the weak link because you got two all pro caliber safeties in Trey White, one of the best corners in the NFL and Teron Johnson, who's arguably one of the best nickel corners in the entire NFL. That's your secondary. So of course, Levi Wallace is going to be your leak wink. I thought he played pretty well. I thought Dane Jackson, all things considered, I thought he played pretty damn well too. I got a lot of respect for them, but before we talk about some of the reasons why, aside from a couple bad calls, why they lost, I I have to say this too, because I want to talk about Josh for a minute here. This might've been and I, at first I thought, Steve, I was kind of like having a knee-jerk reaction because I, I do that shit all the time, man. And one of the reasons why I like to have this podcast on Tuesdays, I usually like to have a full 24 hours to digest the game instead of being, because I'm a very overly emotional guy. I get too high, I get too low, depending on, you know, how things go. But even a day later, I still think that this was my, not his best, but this was my favorite Josh performance of his career. Mm-hmm. He earned a lot of respect. Obviously, I'm talking about him like this. So obviously, you know, learned a lot of respect from me. He earned a lot of respect from more, even respect for Bills fans. And I think he earned a lot of respect from everybody around the league who watched that game, which was obviously pretty much everyone it was a, a feature game at 425 p.m. Again, the numbers, they're good. I think 36 of 54, through 54 goddamn times. <laughs> and 300, 308 <laughs> yards, two touchdowns, one pick. But then he ran for 12 times, 109 yards, a touchdown. He was very clearly hurt. Got sacked, I think, three times. He could have gotten sacked about eight times. And he was injured. This dude is tough as shit. I'm telling you right now, if Josh Allen's not the quarterback on Sunday, if it's 85 to 90% of other quarterbacks around the league, I think the Bills lose this game by 30. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, what was your take on Josh Allen in this game in terms of just earning even more respect? Not even for the numbers, just his, uh, at the risk of sounding corny, dude, his, his will to fight. 
on this day. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, closing that 21 point deficit, one of four players ever in the history of football to throw for 300 yards and to rush for 100 yards. He did a lot of that through an injury. You spent the, you said 425 window, right? The the entire, this was just, just was just like a Sunday night game or a my night game. Honestly, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if this got a higher rating than maybe some of these primetime games that are on tonight and last night. I wouldn't be surprised at this one. Jim Nance and, and Tony Romo said before the game, like this was the one we had circled on our calendars. Everyone was pumped up for this. And in the first half, it was, holy shit, the world feels bad for Josh Allen. Look how pathetic that offensive line is. He's running around. There's nothing he can do. And then in the second half, he was just such an absolute warrior. And, you know, leading that team on that comeback, playing through that injury, making the plays that he did, I mentioned this on the air raid hour. I still don't think people here in Buffalo, because we're so close to it, have a full grasp and understanding of how big of a game that was for Josh Allen's career. The number of people who are outside of Buffalo, the number of people who are fans of other teams, the number of people who are beat writers for other teams who are tweeting things out, the number of people who are NF, um, you know, NFL media personalities, national personalities, tweeting about out about what Josh Allen did that game. Like, Pro football focus can't talk anymore about any of Josh Allen's turnover worthy plays because he's just so fucking good that they, they, they have to shut up about it, right? There's no more keeping Josh Allen out of the tier that he is in. He's no longer like, well, he had one good year and one week he has a bad game. The next week he has a good game. Like he's always consistently knocking at the door of the elites. Well, one week he's elite. The next week he's not. It all depends on his performance because he hasn't been consistent. No, Josh Allen's there. It's Tom Brady, it's Aaron Rodgers, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Josh F. and Allen. He is an elite quarterback in the National Football League, and he's going to be an elite quarterback for the longest time. One of my um, former colleagues at Buffalo Fanatics, Clay Troya, he hit the nail on the head on Twitter last night when he said, um, and I'm I'm struggling to to find the quote here, I'm going to phrase it on my own here, this might not be the roster that wins the Buffalo Bills a Super Bowl, but it sure as hell is the quarterback that is going to win this Buffalo Bills team a Super Bowl because Josh Allen showed last night in the fourth quarter that that man will not be denied. He's going to win a Super Bowl at some point in his career here at the Buffalo Bills. I'll tell you what, it's not very often where a quarterback could have 300 yards passing, 100 yards rushing, account for three touchdowns, and I don't give a shit about the stats. It's not Mm -hmm. even the stats. It's just, you could just see it sometimes, whether it's football, any sport for that matter, you get those... Those moments, those games, those those opportunities where stars just decide, I'm not going to let my team lose. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. they were what were what was the score at one time? Wasn't it like twenty four to three? Yeah. That's what the score it was twenty four three at one point, man. And they're getting embarrassed on national TV again. The nation is watching. It was a disgusting first half. And the offense wasn't good either. And uh, it wasn't Josh Allen's best half, certainly not statistically. And he also made some mistakes. I mean, he did not play a, a flawless game. Let's just call it what it is. But his his toughness in the second half, you know, for people who are younger, you only get to, to read about it or see highlights. But Jim Kelly was always known more than anything else for his toughness. And I kind of feel like Josh Allen joined that party on Sunday. Now he's got the killer arm, just like Jim did back in the day. And now Josh is a way better athlete than Jim Kelly was. But I, I feel like when people talk about Josh Allen today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this whole week, going forward, period now, you might question 
because there's still going to be people out there, no matter what he does, that are going to question his accuracy. They're going to question his consistency. They're going to say he plays hero ball, that he's prone to mistakes. And, you know, there could come times where there's validity to those points. But one thing you can never do again after this game is question his heart and question his toughness. And that might sound corny to say, but it's goddamn true, mm-hmm. ain't it, man? I mean, you you look around the league at, at some of the quarterbacks, and it's just like a, a lot of the comparisons last night and, and a lot of these comparisons that you're starting to see is not to Jim Kelly. A lot of people are comparing this dude to Elway and just the way that Elway carried himself on the football sure. field and the way that Elway will this team to victory and, and maybe more athletically athletic profile. He's, he's closer to maybe a, a John Elway than a Jim Kelly, but sure. you know, I, I almost put him up there in, in, in uh, you know, you got to put him up here in the, in, in the tier with guys like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been playing the last three, four weeks with, with, uh, with this toe injury. And, you know, they're talking every other week about whether he's going to get surgery on it or not. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to go out there and he's just going to he's just going to go off the chain every single week. And he's going to do what he needs to do to put up points, no matter what the obstacle is, no matter how many injuries there are on the Green Bay Packers offensive line, no matter how many skill positions are missing, no matter how dumb his head coach is, not Matt LaFleur, but the guy before that. Right. Like no matter what the obstacle is for Aaron Rodgers, that motherfucker is going to put points on the board. Sure. Josh Allen is entering that tier of quarterbacks where he's like, I don't fucking care what's around me. My ass is putting points on that board. Um, and, and and he proved that in the fourth quarter of this football game. I think this loss could be potentially, and I know we've said this a handful of times already this year. I think this loss potentially could be a legitimate rally cry that actually ends up benefiting them in the long run. That remains to be seen. I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a really quick break here. When we come back on the other side, and we'll spend a little more time talking about Josh Allen, his foot, what we learned today, as in Monday from practice and being day-to-day, what we think might happen this coming Sunday. We'll talk about a little more big picture stuff down the road a little bit. But when we get back after this quick break, look, there's a reason why they got down 24-3 to to begin with. Um, A lot of it has to do with the defense, not just the defense, but I I do want to talk about that, a couple players specifically. So take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back here on Talk Buffalo Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, 
we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, I'm back with Steve Mathis from Cover One. Look, I don't know how this is... Um I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion anymore. I, I think maybe a month or so it, it definitely would have been, but I'm just going to say it. And I did hear, again, some of these topics, I know you already talked about on the Air Raid Hour. By the way, everyone go check that out. Really good show. I have a take on Tremaine Edmonds and I, I'm, I'm just going to say it. And I'm not talking about the touchdown that ended the game in overtime necessarily. Okay. I mean, obviously that was hard to watch, but that aside, I just think the guy's overrated, Steve. I don't think he's that good. I haven't for the most part. I mean, he's had a couple of good games this year, but for the most part, I just don't think he's that good. I think he's overrated. You look at yesterday's game, for example, or Sunday's game. Again, we're taping this Monday for a Tuesday drop. You look at Sunday's game and you got two very well-known established middle linebackers. On one side, you got Tremaine Edmonds. On the other side, you got Devin White, right? Yeah. So you look at the numbers, and I, I tweeted about this on Monday. I think tackles might be the most overrated stat in, the, in football, if not all sports, okay? You look at Tremaine Edmonds, 12 tackles, all right? Nothing, no, that of substance. Never makes an impact play. When the Bills needed a big stop late in the fourth quarter, they got a big sack. Who was it? It wasn't Tremaine Edmonds, was it? It was Matt Milano, like always. Mm -hmm. That's always the story with Tremaine. Elite skill set. He plays very average NFL middle linebacker to me. He's got the skill set, the speed, the size, all that stuff. 12 tackles, empty stat line. Then you look at somebody like Devin White. Only had 10 tackles, but he had a sack and a half. He had two quarterback hits. The guy makes impact plays. Matt Milano makes impact plays. It's just Tremaine Edmonds does. And you look at the season. Tremaine Edmonds has 82 tackles this year. All right, Steve? No sacks. Zero. Zero forced fumbles. Zero fumble recoveries and five tackles for a loss. You look at Matt Milano, just to compare on your own team, five less tackles, 77 tackles, but he's got two sacks, he's got two fumble recoveries, and he's got 14 tackles for loss. Jordan Poyer has as many tackles for a loss this year as Tremaine Edmonds. Now, I know Tremaine, they like to have him in a lot of pass coverage, but this guy, Steve, he's just not an impact player, man. He's not. He's, I don't mm -hmm. care what, whatever Edmonds says. What is he, 24? He's 24 years old, his fourth year, yada, yada, yada. Michael Parsons is a rookie and he's tearing shit up. The guy's just not that good, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this about Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, he doesn't offend me, right? Like, like there are some people who get like super offended when someone wants to talk shit about Tremaine Edmonds. I well, used he's a to be, pro bowler. I, I used to be one of them. I no I'm no longer. I'm like numb to the Tremaine Edmonds talk. So if you're someone who is in Tremaine Edmonds's corner. I understand the three or four bullet pointed reasons why you're in Tremaine Edmonds' corner. If you're not in Tremaine Edmonds' corner, like you just mentioned, I understand the three or four bullet pointed reasons why you're probably not in Tremaine Edmonds' corner. At the end of the day, the one big play that sticks out to me this game was how small he played when the defensive tackles in front of him did their job. He met Leonard Fournette in the hole on third and one, and Leonard yep. Fournette pushed him past the line for that first down uh, to give them that first down. That was a huge play in the game where Tremaine Edmonds, a big six foot four, 250 pound guy, played small. And and that's Should not something that is that is where you need Tremaine Edmonds to go out there and make a play. So my stance on Tremaine Edmonds is this. We're locked in the rest of this season and all of next season 
because we picked up his fifth year option. We owe him like 13, 14 million dollars next season, fully guaranteed. That's not changing. So to me, it's just something I'm going to be numb to for the next two years. However, I would not allocate an extension to him this offseason. If I was Brandon Bean, I would not prioritize trying to beat Tremaine Edmonds to market and save three or four million average dollars per year. I would rather risk having him play again next season, seeing if that killer instinct finally shows up, and then having to pay him an extra two, three million dollar average per year after he's gone out there and really proven it. But right now, he has not proven to be a linebacker that you set the market for. If I'm Brandon Bean, I'm a general manager of a football team, I'm letting him walk out the door when his contract is up, and I'm letting some other team overpay for the potential because he hasn't met that potential here in Buffalo. And I'm going out and I'm trying to draft another linebacker to come in and allocate my monetary resources somewhere else. So I sort of fall on both sides of the camp where he really doesn't offend me. I'm really not too upset that we're stuck with him for the rest of this year and next year, but I'm also not allocating future resources towards him or I'm not ready to allocate those future resources towards him. If the Buffalo Bills come out this offseason and they extend him to a seven-year you know, extension and you know, 18 million average per year, I'm probably going to be pretty upset because I think that's a poor allocation of resources. Then that money could be used somewhere else. I've been waiting to have this conversation with somebody on the show for a while. And it just, for whatever reason, it always seems to be other factors in games and just topics that kind of dominate. And I only get to make a quick point on Edmonds and someone will make a quick point back. And then I have to move on. But I'm not going to do that in this case. Maybe it's because that Moderna booster is starting to kick in a little bit more. Maybe Feel I'm boosted. Ready to, yeah, a little 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 combative with you i'm not combative with you i joke i i will say this you guys you and dave tilton you do a live show on youtube or all the platforms and you can watch it live i wish that for at least a split second we were doing video because when you said something about a killer instinct kicking in i just rolled my eyes probably harder (laughs) than i've ever rolled my eyes at anything in my life that shit ain't gonna happen and look you're a pro bowler. Well, he is a pro bowler. Like it or not, he was a pro bowler last year. That's an expectation. So when you're saying is someone overrated, that means they have to be rated pretty high to begin with. So he is rated pretty high. I'm glad you brought up that play with Leonard Fournette because again, the touchdown thing aside, I, I'm not a film guy. Your boy Eric Turner, I'm sure is going to end up breaking something down that it won't end up being Tremaine's fault or only partially his fault. Someone else didn't do their job too. But to that point, to your point, and I'm glad you mentioned it, that Leonard Fournette run on third and one, everything was perfect. He met them in the hole and has like a side high shoulder tackle. And by the way, that wasn't the only time this game he's done that. He just, it goes back to my point, Steve, he doesn't make impact plays. He does, he racks up to, you know, racked up a lot of tackles, dude. Do you remember Preston Brown? That yeah. dude who asked Preston Brown, remember he would have like 150 tackles every year. Never did anything though. Never had a pick, never had a sack, never forced a fumble. Now, Tremaine Evans is a better player than Preston Brown. I'm not saying that. But my point is, is he just has a bunch of empty numbers. Doesn't make plays. And I am getting critical because the Bills have given up a lot of big plays. And this defense, at times, at least against good teams, has not played well. And the middle linebacker is very largely responsible for it. So this guy deserves criticism. Now, I know Mm -hmm. you say you're in the middle and you're numb. And I get it. To a point, you have to be. 
Because like you said, to your point, and you're right, he is here next year. Guaranteed. The only way he's not here next year is if they trade him. You know, because that money's guaranteed. So if they traded him, then sure, they're sure shit not going to cut him. They can't rescind the option. So they're, they're stuck with him next year. And there are worse linebackers. I'm not saying he's the worst middle linebacker in the NFL. But so many people, including podcasters, many of them I like and respect, put this guy on a pedestal that he just doesn't deserve to be on, man. He's not good. And at times, he flat out hurts his football team. And I think when your star middle linebacker is a detriment to your chances of winning a football game, as I think he was against Tampa, dude, that's not good, man. Mm-hmm. He was a detriment to the team on Sunday. I mean, to you, to your point, though, like because you mentioned a name like Preston Brown. I, I won't go as far to say that he is Preston Brown, a guy like Preston Brown was not a good football player. He was someone who just accumulated tackles and right. a lot of his tackles happened to be. I will give Tremaine Edmonds the benefit of the doubt. He's got far better traits and he is a far better superior football player than a Preston Brown. Your concern with Tremaine Edmonds and, 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 and the concern could go part of this is on the coaching staff, I think too, right? Because if you look at Tremaine Edmonds and you look at that position, they having him play and you look at his size and you look at his agility and you're like, should he really be playing this position? Because I think your biggest fear, who's another player that a lot of, uh, who's another first round draft pick that Buffalo fans said was overrated and they couldn't wait till he left town. And then he went up North to Foxborough, Massachusetts. He went with the, went to the evil empire and he was in a different system and he became an all pro player. Mr. Stefan Gilmore. Tremaine Edmonds contract is up at the end of next season, right? He hits Mm -hmm. the free agent market. Dante Hightower retires there in new England. Bill Belichick gives Tremaine Edmonds a call, offers him a contract, puts him into that Dante Hightower role in their 34 defense there in New England. How killer would that be to the morale of the Buffalo team to see another first round draft pick in Buffalo not live up to his potential here and then go have that potential tap somewhere else with a guy like Bill Belichick? That's another part. That's another thing that that eats me, that eats away at me with Tremaine Edmonds is I know the talent is there for him to be a special football player. I just don't know if the coaches are putting him in the best, best position to be a special football player. It's an overplayed um, cliche that we hear all the time. But in this case, doesn't it have merit when you hear somebody say, and, I, and by somebody, I mean me, looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. It, 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 I know has, I, it has merit. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I 100% understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man. I just, you know, you talked about you had three or four bullet points that you hear mm-hmm. to, to, to not want him to stay. And then you have three or four bullet points where you're like, all right, well, I, I see their point, but I see that's where you and I disagree fundamentally. I don't <laughs> see the three or four bullet points. Everything I see in Tremaine Edmonds that's good is something that you see in shorts. You know, we talk about quarterbacks looking good in shorts in training camp. Tremaine Edmonds certainly looks the part. He's 6'5". He's what, 250. He can run like the wind. He has a lot of set skill sets that are elite. But where's the elite play? I want my middle linebacker. Look, I get it. Maybe it is a system and maybe you're right. Maybe he would could go to New England in two years and he could tear shit up. So maybe it's an organizational thing, but I want my middle linebacker. I expect my little linebacker, just like with Jerry Hughes, who has one and a half sacks this year. I hear about pressure rate, this and that, yada, yada. Get home once in a while. Make a play. Finish. Finish the play. Where's Jermaine Edmonds? Where's his game-changing, impactful plays? They're just, I don't even want to say they're few and far between because they're almost non-existent. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is frustrating. And, and I do think part of that is Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's defense. 
like Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier's defense, they just, they don't allow these individuals to go out there and make those plays. Like, that's just not the way it, this defense is everybody do their one eleventh. Everybody keep everything in front of you. We'll try to force the turnover. We're going to bend, but not break. That's what Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott's defense is. It's not built to have a player take over a defensive player, take over a football game, like a Micah Parson or a TJ Watt. Or, you, you know, uh, do you think he'd uh, be better Diggs. off, Steve? Do you think he'd be better off if he was an outside linebacker? Obviously, that wouldn't be the case in this system because they only really have one, and that's Matt Milano. But do you think maybe it's because he's playing middle linebacker and a Leslie Frazier defense where maybe he wants him in coverage more often? I mean, Milano, to, to be fair to Tremaine Edmonds, Milano does blitz more than Tremaine Edmonds, but it just feels like Milano, when there's a big play to be had, and if the Bills defense makes a big play, it always felt to me if it, it was three people, it was, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Let me let me walk that back. It's more than three people. I was going to say Milano. I was going to say Teron Johnson, but both safeties tend to make big play big plays. Mm-hmm. Trey White. It feels like the only person in that back seven in the secondary who never seems to make a big play is Jermaine Edmonds. I mean, I, I just I really truly feel that the best thing that could happen to Jermaine Edmonds would be to leave the same, would be to leave Buffalo. I, I really <laughs> think I really think that he is he he will not shine. In this system, this is not a system where a player like him is going to shine. I think he's a player who's probably going to walk in a couple of years and he's probably going to find success elsewhere. And we're all going to be looking at him being like, where the fuck was that when you were here? I think that that is the prediction that I have uh, prognosticating the future of Tremaine Edmonds. It's a fair take. I'll I'll say this. I, I think he could have more success somewhere else, maybe down the road. But I don't care if he's in a Patriots uniform, a Tampa uniform, a Frisco uniform. When Leonard Fournette or somebody's running through the hole and there ain't a dude touching you and you decide that you're not going to hit him and, and stop him in his tracks, I don't care what system in you're in, you either have it physically or you don't. And he has it until he puts the pads on and, and it's time to lay licks on people. That's just, I take my, let's move <laughs> on because I'll say this, in fairness to Tremaine, he's only one of 11 people out there on the field. And I hear a lot of talk and again, I get it. The bills came back. They made it a game. It was fun. We got on the edge of our seats and stuff like that. But let's not lose sight of the fact that this defense was, was trash in the first half. I mean, they mm-hmm. were, so was the offense, but they gave up 24 points early. It was, it was just, it was ugly. They're prone. They've been prone all year to that big run. It struck again. Fournette went 46 yards, basically untouched. It was a, a very ugly start for, you know, another half of, Bill's defense, and in total, Tampa went, what, I'm looking now, 8 for 16 on third downs. They had just under 500 yards of total offense, I mean, and they didn't get a turnover. So what's what's wrong with this defense? It, it seems like they just, well, it's kind of like the offense, too. They really feast on the chumps, man. Mm-hmm. But when they're playing these good teams, it's just, is this a defense that just doesn't know how to get punched in the face? I, I, I mean, I, I can't explain it at this point. At, at the I end think Tampa's good, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, at, at the end of the day, they have the playmakers in the back seven. Matt Milano obviously has proven to be a playmaker in this league. Teron Johnson, Jordan Porter, Mike Ide, Trey White when he's here. I think there was always going to be an adjustment period. Last week didn't help when Mac Jones only threw, threw three passes uh, in that weather when it came to Levi and Dane on the boundary. But at the end of the day, and, and the most infuriating part about this is the defensive line. Just it, they get pushed around, right? Like it's. That defensive yeah. line is not living up to the hype. They are not the forest through the trees. They are not the uh, the New York Giants Super Bowl defensive line that we thought they could have been, where they were going to wreak havoc on the quarterback even if they couldn't get sacks. They were going to get their hand in the air. They were going to bat down balls. You can't see the forest through the trees, the NASCAR packages. It's just not coming to fruition. 
Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, despite the fact that they might not have, they might have a solid pressure rate. They're just not getting to the quarterback like they used to. AJ Epinesa is invisible. Gregory Rousseau is still developing. Boogie Basham is sitting on the inactive list. Harrison Phillips is playing solid, okay football. Ed Oliver doing what the best he can because he's really the only one making the impact plays on that defensive line when he's in the game. And then the rest of your defensive tackles are just dudes. We've invested so much money. We've invested so much draft capital on this defensive line and time and time and time and time and time again, they get bullied. So there needs to be some accountability there this offseason. Somebody needs to get fired. Eric Washington might need to go. Somebody needs to go. They need to kick someone's ass out the door and say, enough is enough. Let's wake the F up. You are too talented to be playing football like this. Jerry Hughes needs to be gone this offseason. Mario Addison needs to be gone this offseason. Harrison Phillips, Vernon Butler probably need to be gone this offseason. Get all the veterans out of that room because they ain't stepping it up and they ain't doing their jobs. You need to send a clear message that like what's going on here, the status quo that's been the status quo since I've got here, Sean McDermott, it's not good enough anymore. And as a tough of a pill as this is going to be for Bills fans to swallow, we got to reinvest in the defensive line again, and we got to get it right this time. Yeah. You know what? I really don't have anything to add. That's a really good take with the defense. I want to jump. I don't want to even jump back to the offense, but I do want to point three things out that I, I wrote down. I scribbled down a couple things. You know me, Steve. I don't like to like write a lot of notes down. You and I literally don't talk ahead of time on what we're going to talk about. It just kind of comes out of my mouth as it does. But offensively, I like Gabe Davis. Um, we're going to see more of him. Emmanuel Sanders is week to week. He's mm-hmm. not going to probably play Sunday. And even if he is healthy again, I'm ready to see more Gabe Davis. I think this offense is better when he's on the field than when he's not on the field. Um, I thought Devin Singletary only had four carries, but he had 52 yards. So he certainly made the most of it. He had that nice 29-yard run, um, caught six passes for 37 yards. That's going to keep Moss inactive again for a while. I I thought Singletary was pretty good. And the one guy I do want to get at least a take from you, Dawson Knox. So he has seven catches, 60 yards, eight touchdowns. He's maddening to me because he was really good in Tampa. I thought he was he was great, a total asset. I like this kid, man. He's playing for the most part good, but don't you? As soon as you start to get confident in him, you feel like he's going to go play Carolina next week and he's going to drop two. You know what I'm saying? It's like, is he going to get that consistency? Because it feels to me like when it comes to Dawson Knox right now, the only thing that's preventing him from getting to and staying at that like next level is consistency because mm-hmm. he's really showing, man, he's got the physicality and for the drops, he does have good hands. He makes a lot of really good catches. He can run after the catch. He's really, really, really good running after the catch. I think he's a pretty underrated blocker, but you got to be able to trust him. Josh has to be able to trust him in a critical moment. That's like the one thing that's keeping this kid from becoming a really, really good tight end. Yeah, no, I mean, Dawson Knox, he, he's got the physical ability. And that's why they drafted him in the third round. Like he, despite the fact that he was raw, played quarterback in high school, didn't score a touchdown in college, et cetera. Like we've all heard the backstory with him. Uh, I, Tony Roma made a comment during the, the show. He's like, yeah, they got so many young weapons on offense. They're still developing. When they click, they're going to be so talented. It's like, dude, has been here for three years. Like enough is yeah. enough. Like enough, enough is enough with uh, this, this, this Jekyll and Hyde thing that he's got going on. But to me, this season's been way more good than bad. Uh, it's been way more promising than it has um, not so promising. 
And we're a heck of a lot better football team when he's on the field than when he's not on the field. We saw how this offense struggled when he was injured. So he's one of those guys where I am allocating my future resources. His contract is going to be up after next season. He's a guy I would want to re-sign this offseason and get him uh, under contract before maybe next season and his statistics can blow up even more. Uh, He's a guy who has a great relationship with Josh Allen. He just adds such a good element to this offense. I would love to get him a running mate. Like one of the things that I want to see the Buffalo Bills do this offseason is grab a tight end number two. Um, not Tommy Sweeney, who I think is a tight end number three, like a Lee Smith type of player. Not as obviously not as like lumbering and unathletic as Lee Smith, but he's also not very dynamic as a pass catcher. You're not sure. really getting much out of Tommy Sweeney as a as a number two tight end. Nobody feels threatened by him on the football field. So if you can right. go out there in free agency or you can go out there in the draft and you can get yourself another tight end, maybe draft a guy like you drafted Dawson Knox in the third or fourth round or go out and sign a guy in free agency to, to a a middle tier contract, get another guy who can play in that 12 personnel with Dawson Knox, a guy who can play off of Dawson Knox. It's going to help you in the run game. It's going to help you pass protecting because you can have more guys on the line of scrimmage and it's going to make your offense more dynamic and it's going to make it more versatile. So to me, adding another tight end this offseason might be just as big of a priority as some of the other positions that people look at that we need to add this offseason. Now, despite the fact that there's still plenty of football left, I'm actually glad that you were talking about the offseason and potentially drafting some guys and, and signing some guys. It, it kind of goes to a point that I actually did write down. And, and then after that, I still feel reasonably confident. Believe it or not, and we'll talk about this as well in a minute. I still think the Bills very realistically could win the AFC East right now. I really, truly do. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But here's the problem, folks. The problem with the Buffalo Bills right now it ain't no on and off switch. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of times teams have problems where the wide receivers are new. You just, you're not getting on the same page as the quarterback. You know, sometimes the game plans come into question, things like that. I feel like those are things that could get fixed easily. Those are like on and off switches to me. But the Bills problem right now, it's not an on and off switch because their biggest problem is, you just talked about it a few minutes ago, the defensive line, being able to stop the run, being able to consistently get after and finish rushing the quarterback. That's a problem. The offensive line problem is a big problem. Okay. And this has been an ongoing problem. Probably the most consistent problem all year for the bills has been this offensive line, whether it's run blocking, pass blocking, whatever, that's a problem. And quite frankly, the running, just being able to run the football when you have to be able to run the football to win games. If it's not Josh Allen, you know, those are problems right now. And when it comes to that, and I don't want to have a long conversation today because this, I feel like this is something that you and I should probably spend an off-season episode really locked in on. But mm-hmm. we're given a lot of you. You've been you've been looking and following Twitter and you know having conversations and stuff. A lot of the blame on Monday is going towards the defense. A lot of blame's going towards the the, the the offensive line, things of that nature. Sean McDermott. Bad, I, you know what? We're not even going to talk about Sean today because this would be a three-hour <laughs> podcast right now. But anyway, some of the decisions he's making, Brian Dable, some of the play calls. But you know, I think it's time that we start getting a little annoyed with Brandon Bean. If you're going to throw McDermott and, and Dable in the mix, let's throw some Brandon Bean in the mix too because you looked, and it it was before the game even started, Steve, where I was pissed off. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. I never really thought of it this way. So I look at the Bills and Actives. On Sunday, what did they come out? Around 3 o'clock, something like that, 3 o'clock? Yeah. You look, mm-hmm. Cody Ford, a second-round draft pick that the Bills traded up for just two years ago. Healthy scratch. Zach Moss, 
a guy that the Bills drafted in the third round, what, in 2020, last year? Healthy scratch. Boogie Basham, a guy that the Bills doubled down on at defensive end after going defensive end in the first round this year. Healthy scratch. Vernon Butler, a guy that Brandon B not only signed, but ended up keeping. Healthy scratch. I mean, that's on Brandon Bean, man. You you yeah. brought back Feliciano. You gave Daryl Williams an extension. I, I, and that's, I'm not even talking about some yeah. of the moves that, you know, like training Wyatt Teller, whatever. I mean, that's been talked about ad nauseum. I don't think anyone suspected he was going to become one of the best guards in the NFL. Although it kind of is a general manager's job to, to evaluate and come to these conclusions. But it's like, there's a lot of things going on with this Bill stuff, especially these. Oh, and uh, you know, someone who actually did play, but it's almost like he didn't play. AJ Epinesa, second round pick just a year ago. I mean, dude, I'm running off like, what's that? Four guys drafted in the first three rounds just in the last couple of years that are utter and complete non-factors for this football team right now. Yeah, I mean, the Buffalo Bills doubled down on a lot of things and they they trusted the status quo and it failed miserably, blew up on their face. John Feliciano probably shouldn't be on this roster next year. Daryl Williams probably shouldn't be on this roster next year. Right? Zach Moss probably won't be on this roster next year. Cody Ford probably won't be on this roster next year. I mean, the Buffalo Bills expected in this offseason to go left to right. Deion Dawkins, John Feliciano, Mitch Morse, Cody Ford, Daryl Williams, and have Sean uh, Spencer Brown uh, waiting in the wings and Ike Bucker as depth. And on paper, you're like, wow, this is a great offensive line. Like yeah. they protected Josh Allen last year. They're going to do just fine this year. Cody Ford's finally going to reach his ceiling. We have a future starter in Spencer Brown at right tackle that we can wait in the wings. And, you know, Ike Bucker didn't embarrass himself last year. And Ryan Bates is the backup center. And you're just, you're, you're puffing your chest out and you're feeling really good. And then the actual football happens. And then all of that fails <laughs> miserably. Uh, and it's, it's super frustrating, but the Buffalo bills, Brandon Bean's got to take a long, hard look in the mirror this off season. And he's got to understand he's got a franchise quarterback, which is something that not a lot of teams have. And when you have a franchise quarterback, it's a hell of a lot easier to fix the other problems. The other problems seem a lot smaller, but he's got to be willing to admit his mistakes. John Feliciano should not be on this roster next year. Darrell Williams should not be on this roster next year. They need to reset that offensive line. And it's not even difficult, really. Go out, sign Andrew Norwell, bring him in, play left guard. Go out, draft a draft Darian Kennard or Tyler Linderbaum or uh, Eki Aquanu or uh, Zion Johnson. Go get one of those guards because it's a loaded interior offensive line class. Go place them at left guard next year. All you have to do is replace two guards and your offensive line is fixed. But you got to get those two guards right. You got to get them right. And so far, he hasn't proven that he can get them right. Same goes with the defensive line. He hasn't proven that he can get them right. Not only does he need to double down and he needs to go back to what he's already done and what he's already tried to fix because he failed the first time, he's going to have to get him right this time or people are really going to start asking questions. Yeah, I think, and again, I don't want to get into any deep dive off-season conversation when it's just so much important, meaningful football left to be played for the Bills over this next month or so, but it is very doable. The offensive line, the interior offensive line, I mean, it doesn't take a... doesn't take a smart person to realize that that is a weakness on the team. Well, not so much Mitch Morris. I, I think Mitch Morris has been the one lone. You just, just got to insulate him. Just find some yeah, big he, fatties to put next to him. Yeah, I, I think he's been relatively, he's been good this year. Last year, it was a little bit shaky in, in the injury, the concussion, and, and things like that. But I did look it up. So if you were to cut Darrell Williams post-June 1st and then just get rid of Feliciano and even Morris, because you could save $8.5 million. Mitch Morris's cap number next year is going to be 11.25. You could save $8.5 million if you were to cut them. If the Bills did cut those three guys, that would save them $19 million in cap money. 
they would have to eat about six million in 2022 cap. Mm -hmm. But they could really, really easily go out and redo this interior line. But again, that's something to talk about down the road. They're stuck with these guys for the rest of this year. And now, circling back to what I said, despite all this negativity stuff, all you know, everything going on with this team, I still think they're in a really excellent position and potentially win the AFC East, provided, of course, Josh Allen's uh, foot doesn't get worse. If that happens, that's a wrap. You know what I'm saying? But, money, Mitch, and little Nick Foles action. I got it. In, I got in a, a pretty heated exchange with a lot of people today. Um, Monday, I'm talking about on Twitter because I suggested for those listening who might not know, uh, Sean McDermott said Josh Allen with, with a spring foot. He's day to day, and that the hope is to get him back for Sunday. I suggested that he doesn't play on Sunday unless he's a hundred. And I should have prefaced this by saying if Josh Allen's a hundred percent or ninety percent, he's going to play and he should play. But if, if he's out there limping around badly and he's at 60%, I trust the Bills to be able to beat the Carolina Panthers at home in Buffalo with Mitch Trubisky. And my thought process is give Josh an extra week to get healthy because that game the following week at New England is everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I'd be okay with not playing Josh Allen this week. I would play him only if he's healthy or really close to it. And, and if you don't think there's a good chance that he's going to re-injure it and make it worse. Now, I don't know if, if there's sort of a point where maybe a week isn't going to matter either. Well, then at that, I guess you just play him at that point. But anyway, here's how I feel about this, Steve. You got Carolina, you got Atlanta, you got the Jets all at home. Those are mediocre to really shitty football teams. There's yep. no excuse in the world. And I get it. They lost to Jacksonville. And I know how the leagues went this year. I've seen it with my own eyes, just like everyone else. Nothing's a given in the NFL this year. And that's especially true in 2021. But you got to beat these teams at home in Buffalo in December. Simple as that. You do that, right? Now you got, and then the other game, of course, is next week or two weeks, New England. In New England. Very tough game, obviously. But I think as long as it's not 50 mile an hour wins, I still think the Bills are the better football team. I thought that before Monday night, and I still think that today. Okay. I think the Bills are a better football team. They're very capable of beating New England on the road. You win those four games. You win out. All New England would have to do is lose either this coming week at Indy or in week 18. I almost said 17. It's an 18-week season now, right? Yeah. Week 18, they're at Miami. And Miami's been playing as good as any team in the conference just about uh -huh. lately. If New England loses just one of those games and the Bills beat them en route to winning out, which again... That sounds like a lot, winning out four games, but three of those are against chump teams. You win out, New England loses one game, the Bills win the tiebreaker because New England would have two divisional losses because they already lost to Miami at home. The Bills would end up 5-1 and one in the AFC, and the Bills win the AFC East. It's still very, very, very much there for the taking. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, you mentioned those three games, Carolina, the Jets, the Falcons, all at home, all in Buffalo. You've got to win those football games. If you can topple New England, it also gives you the division. That also, like, if the Buffalo Bills play the way that they played in the second half of that football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if that is the rally cry, if that is the the wake up moment, the seems like there's been a, a number of wake up moments. We've hit the snooze button yeah, but multiple does this times one feel this different? season. Does this, this one feel different, you Steve? This one feels a little bit different. Okay. And if this truly is the time we finally get out of bed, and this is the fifth time we've hit the snooze button, we finally got out of bed. If this truly is it and we can rattle off four straight games, you got yourself the big Mo heading into the playoffs too. You got yourself a winning streak. We talk about teams getting hot at the right time. If 
even though they are inferior opponents, three of the four are inferior opponents, that is still you're gaining a lot of momentum. You are firing on all cylinders. You are super confident heading into the postseason. You are, finger quotes, getting hot at the right time. A lot of people have made the comment the Buffalo Bills got hot at the wrong time, you know, when they were beating and toppling the Kansas City Chiefs and getting off to that semi-hot start after that debacle at home on opening day against the Steelers. Oh, the Buffalo Bills got hot at the wrong time. Well, here's their chance to reignite that engine and get hot at the right time, get that momentum, get everything fired on all cylinders, gain that confidence heading into the postseason if they can rally off four in a row here. Yeah, and I'll tell you, and um, trust me, man, I am not a Bills whole. I'm a Bills fan, I admit it. I don't try to hide it, but I'm not a homer. I call it like it is, and I get criticized a lot for expressing my my opinions because a lot of people think I'm a Bills hater because, again, I'm not a homer. But I will say this. I legitimately felt like when they walked off that field that this team is not going to lose again for quite a while. That's the way I felt. I, I think it did matter. I, there was no such thing as a moral victory. I, You know, that might be stupid to say that. But I feel like this team just feels like they're not going to lose again. Now, in fairness, last year I felt that way after they got screwed, not yeah, screwed, the Arizona, the, the, you know, the miracle finish there. And then the next time they lost was against Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Now, in fairness, I thought losing to Jacksonville was going to be that rallying cry. <laughs> and I thought losing to, what was the other game that they lost that I thought? Not, not New England. I, the Steelers? I, no. Colts? The, no, the Titans game. I'm under oh, that, Josh Allen semi-slipped on, uh, you know, on that four yeah. inches play. I thought that was going to be the turning point of their season as well. So I, I've been wrong twice, but I really feel it in my bones right now. One last thing too, you know, we could sit here and talk X's and O's and what went wrong. And I could keep bashing Tremaine Edmonds and we could talk about injuries, Trey White, which we actually even talked about that. But a lot of it's luck, you know, throughout the course of a season, there's a lot of luck that's involved in teams being great. It's certainly Josh Allen has not regressed this year. And I know that was probably the number one concern going into the season. I don't think Josh Allen's regressed. I think he's at times tried to do a little bit too much, but I think that's because of the circumstances around his season. But I feel like he's been really good again this year. I just think it's luck, man. You know, a couple missed time, you know, field goals that should have been made, uh, drops at times. There's been some injuries this year that that have hurt them. There are a lot, just things that sometimes they go your way in good seasons and in other seasons they don't. Josh Allen, at least semi-slipping in that Tennessee game, the the horrible non-digs play or pass interference call Sunday that might have won them the game. I just feel like there's a lot of luck that's involved in teams being really great and then bad luck when things go bad. I mean, the Bills, I think they got, what, the best second point differential in the NFL? And they're like, what, seven and six? Yeah. It's like fantasy football where every year it seems like there's one team in your league who always has the most points or second most points, but they're only like a 500 team because they, every week it seems like they play the team that gets lucky. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Me, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of luck involved though. And, and I think right now just it's going against the Bills. Fortunately, again, there's still four games left and yeah. there's there's an opportunity that, to turn things around. That's a really good so, point. Josh Young doesn't slip. We beat the Titans, who are one of the top t- teams in the AFC this year. Stefan Diggs gets that call in the end zone and we punch it in on the goal line and win that football game. We're nine and four right now. Um, well, even with those embarrassing losses to the Pittsburgh and the Colts and the Jaguars, et cetera, we're, you know, we're sitting there at nine and four and we're probably number one or number two in the power rankings. You know, what's really funny, Steve is people, when you usually say that typically in a year, like last year, you, they were 13 and three, you could have said, well, we could have been 15 and one. 
usually when you say that, well, if this had happened, this happened, but usually it goes the other way. Yeah. Well, if you didn't this, and but that's the thing with the Bills this year, dude. They're 0 and 5 in one possession games this year. 0 and 5 in one score games this year. So there's not any games that they won that they should have lost. Every game the Bills have won this year, they beat the shit out of whoever they beat. You know, whoever they played, they mm -hmm. beat the shit out of them. They're losing the close games right now. And that's what's, uh, yeah, even it's shit, man. Even just 8 and 5 right now, I'd, I'd be happy with 8 and 5 because the Bills would completely control their own destiny if they were 8 and 5 right now. That Jacksonville loss still pisses me off because that team sucks. Ooh. And if they beat Jacksonville right now, all they got to do is win out. And again, it sounds so arduous, but in reality, three of those four games are at home against shit team. So it's not. But what are you going to do? Anyway, before I get you out of here, man, I, I do want to spend a couple minutes. So, you know, I've talked about this a couple of times throughout. You are with Cover One now. You and David Hilton, you do the air raid hour. You guys are live on Monday nights at 9 p.m. And you're also live Buffalo Bills pregames. Um, everyone knows, you know, you guys were at Buffalo Fanatics. We're not going to, I'm not going to ask you about any of that gossip <laughs> and you know, how things, things just happen, dude. When you're in the, whether you, when, you know, when you play sports, when you're, when you cover sports for different media outlets, shit just happens. That's nobody's business, whatever. But what I do want to ask you is I ended up with cover one. And obviously I think that's a really good football fit for you and David. I think your show's a really good fit for cover one. I'm a big fan of cover one. I have Aaron Quinn on the show all the time. Big fan of a uh, cover one. Lots of guys there. But anyway, talk about a little bit about going to cover one and, you know, some of the things you guys are hoping to, uh, to accomplish with them. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it, it was unexpected. Like I said, our, our departure from Buffalo Fanatics was not something we had planned on doing. It was not something, uh, that we wanted to even do, but, uh, you know, things happened and, uh, we ended up departing from there. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a shock at first. I, you know, we didn't quite know what to do. Uh, at, at one point I, I DM'd you and I was like, Hey, uh, Hey, do you want to, do you want to bring the air raid hour onto your talking Buffalo feed? And, uh, uh, you know, we had a conversation, um, you know, I about, about, to, about that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I love, I love your guys content. Yeah. I'm a big fan of it. I, I, I'm not just saying it cause you're on the air with me right now. I legitimately truly mean it. I think you guys are very grounded with your conversations. You don't sound like homers. And you don't sound like haters. And I know that might sound a little bit silly to some people out there, but I really like balanced coverage. And I think you guys do really well. But anyway, yeah. Go yeah, back, go no, back. I mean, like, like I said, when you take a chance and you leave, you know, a network, you leave a brand like that, um, you're always taking a risk. And, and, and we were really surprised. Like, like I said, um, you know, right, right after we announced that we were, we were leaving Fanatics, we had a number of people reach out to us and ask us to, uh, to join their network or to do things with them in, in, in a certain capacity. And we felt like, Cover One was the best fit. We had a relationship with Greg. We had a relationship with Aaron. Um, you know, I love Anthony over there doing the disguise coverage stuff. So uh, we had a really good relationship with them. Uh, we were able to hammer out a deal really quick, uh, do the Monday night show every night at nine, every Monday night at nine, uh, sort of reacting to the Bills game that was. And then every Sunday, uh, we do the hour long pregame show right before every, um, you know, single game. And then obviously, as the offseason progresses, we'll probably go back to our Monday, Thursday thing like we used to do with Fanatics. We love to dive mm -hmm. deep into free agency, into the draft and, and, and really talk me and Dave, were just like armchair GMs. We, we, we like to talk the off season. Um, so we'll, we'll get back to doing our, our, our twice a week thing, uh, Monday, Thursday, probably as the off season progresses, but just such a great fit there. And, uh, they've been, they welcomed us with open arms and, uh, they got a ton of different subscriptions to all these different websites, which is really helping us, uh, supplement our coverage and, and, and sound, uh, sounds, sounds, sound more smarter. Sound more smarter. Uh, so uh, more smarter, for more, sure. more smarter for sure. Uh, yeah. So uh, we really appreciate everything that Eric and Greg 
and Aaron and all those guys have done for us at Cover One. And uh, we, we are happy to be where we're at. Well, I'll say this. Congratulations on doing a pregame show and being able to stay sober an hour before pregame because that would be definitely one of the reasons. <laughs> it, it can be tough. And again, I'm not here. I'm not going to take any pot shots at Buffalo Fanatics or some people I like there. But I, I will say this. Buffalo Fanatics loss is definitely cover one's game uh, when it comes to you and Dave. You guys do really good work. Everyone out there, make sure you follow Steve on Twitter at Judge Mathis. And again, part of the cover one network here, Air Raid Hour. They're live every Monday night at 9 p.m. And for at least for the rest of the season anyway, they're live about an hour or so before the game for a pregame show. Thanks for joining, man. This was a this was a lot of fun. I got through this, man. That Moderna booster shiny shit. Clean hour. Clean hour. Yeah, clean hour. I thought I was going to struggle. I didn't struggle at all, man. (laughs) You went back-to-back shows. You're a grinder, man. You know I appreciate you. Thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, no problem, man. Thank you. Anytime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.